Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Our reading today is Psalm 68, verses 1 through 20. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The king of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. The young men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered it with silver, its pinions shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let the snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan. O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desires for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousand upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Thank you, Haley. Thank you, David. It's great to have you back again. I'm going to continue reading since I do work pretty much full time. Don't always get um, the things that are needed for the bulletin in on time. So we got a few more extra verses other than what I thought. Just continuing to read verse 21. But God will strike the heads of his enemies the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood and that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. I've entitled this sermon, God's Reign and Empowering Presence with His people. 
as David has just said, we are in this series on the Messianic Psalms, and they often foreshadow or anticipate the work of Christ. Two weeks ago, we were looking at Psalm 24, which was a a reminder to remember our primary relationship in all of life, and that is God, our Creator. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and all the people that are in it, and I reminded us to remember God's claim as the primary claim upon our lives, above all other claims, all other relationships. This week, we look a little bit further into the claims of God and into the character of God. The setting of this psalm, Psalm 68, is actually similar to Psalm 24. I think Psalm 24 is probably when David's getting closer to Jerusalem, the the place where he has chosen to have the tabernacle built. It's the, the uh, Mount Zion is the place where the Lord will have his abode. They will eventually build a temple there. David's son Solomon will build a temple there. Psalm 24 celebrates David and all the choirs and the women and the tambourines and all of them proceeding with the Ark of the Covenant and are coming to the gates. And remember, O ye gates, who is this at the gate? It is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, and the Lord enters in and then goes onto his throne in Jerusalem. This psalm seems to pick up earlier in the story when David, when he says in the very first line, God shall arise, his enemies be scattered. You can imagine David there, he's at the home of the man, Obed, I think his name is. You can go read all of that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the longer um, story and the version. And David is there, and he has written this psalm, and he begins the psalm in exactly the same way in which Moses would pray in the morning in the wilderness and say, Arise, O Lord. That's in um, Numbers chapter 10. Let me just show you that. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Sound familiar? It's the exact same wording. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. There was God, God's empowering presence with his people. He had saved them from Egypt, and they were there in the wilderness. And every time they moved... Moses would pray, Arise, O Lord, go before us. May your strength and your power, your majesty, your might go before us and scatter all our enemies and make a way for us. And there is David before the Ark of the Covenant. It has been stolen by the Philistines. It has come back into possession of the Israelites. But when they tried to bring it to Jerusalem the first time, they'd done it in a very disobedient way. Someone had tried to touch it. It had fallen off the back of a wagon. They tried to touch it and they died. But now David is more thoroughly prepared, and he's prepared this psalm. This psalm actually probably, I mean, it's right in the center of your Bible. It's probably the very high point of the whole of the life of Israel. 
when finally from the exodus from Egypt, from being promised, the promised land. David has finally expelled all of God's enemies from the promised land. And now he has the ark, the very symbol of the presence of their king and God. He will now celebrate God's power, his majesty, and his ability to save and rescue his people and dispel all other enemies. That's hard though, isn't it? To believe and to celebrate God's power. Especially when we have all kinds of evidence to the contrary. It's hard to trust in God's power and to trust that he will come through when I'd rather come through myself. It's hard to trust God's power and this psalm just pours on Summon your power, O God, verse 28. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praise to the Lord. Ascribe power to God, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. I find that really, really difficult. I've had an average week, but I have evidence to the contrary of God's power. This is just an average week. Yours is probably just like mine. In the community, young man called Corbin Johnson. He lived across the street from us. He hit the headlines on Monday, local news. They found his body. Anybody remember this? They found his body. A year later, he disappeared July 11th of last year. He lived across the street from us for about four or five years. He moved out with his mom from a broken home, African-American. But my wife... When she knew this, we found some photographs. And the photograph was of Nathaniel's 13th birthday. And there's a photograph of them all looking towards the camera. Only one African-American boy, but he's the only one who's dead today out of all those white boys. Where is your power? Why wasn't he saved? His mom, I used to see them go regularly to church on Sunday morning. There's evidence, isn't there, to the contrary. When I'm at work, I spoke to a man this week who is reduced to selling his body for drugs. Where is your power, O Lord? Why won't you save him? He's like the walking dead looking in the face of the walking dead. At home, relationships don't work the way that we want to and the way that we hope for. And on a personal note, just preparing for this sermon, just a reminder to be praying for your elders and for your leader, uh, David. Coming up for the first time was reasonably easy. Coming up for the second time and getting back into the track of preaching every week as your pastor does has been humbling for me to remember the opposition of the great opposer, Satan, who does not want this psalm or anything of God's word to be heard by you. Because this psalm ascribes greatness and power and majesty to God and to God alone. He will oppose that. And we, well, I have personally felt it over the last few hours.
our temptation in the face of all of this evidence that seems to be the contrary to a celebration of God's victories is to move in our own power. In the absence of God's power, there is within all of us a deep over-desire to use our own To think that we are responsible, the world can often end up being on our shoulders. We try and move our shoulder against and push against the world, only to find that the world will push back on us. And so we try harder and harder, and we can become over-responsible and burdened. When things don't work out the way we want them to in our own power, it's easy then to use unrighteous anger a form of power to make things work, to make your relationships work. This psalm, I believe, can lead us to trust in God's reign and his power and his power alone. How do we do that? First of all, I want us to look at God's power and reign His character is displayed in his judgment of the wicked enemies. In the New Testament, something like this is said by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's because the Lord will deal with his enemies. You don't have to. David begins, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. He starts with a celebration of God's judgment on people who oppose him. They had opposed God's work from Egypt to David's present day and with the Philistines. God's work and choice of the children of Israel as his special chosen people, not because they were better than anybody else, they were better looking, their skin color was different from anybody else's, they were more intelligent than anybody else. In Ezekiel chapter 16, God actually describes his people as like an abortion on the side of the road when he found them. But it was God's particular choice to choose them and to love them and to raise them and to protect them and to destroy all their enemies. And this psalm, David lifts up in celebration one of the characteristics of God and in his power is that God's sovereign right to choose who he will save and who he will destroy. Perhaps the opposition I've felt in the last few hours is because that is a truth and a glorious truth and I believe it's the truth that we need to hear and especially our country needs to hear because I believe we've lost completely the fear of God. David asks us to come and celebrate the defeat of all enemies from Egypt to Canaan, going into the promised land 
defeating all the Philistines. And now at last, God will come in the presence of the ark and take and be seated upon his throne. David earlier in our service alluded to the fact that God is slow to anger. And that is true. He is slow to anger. We have in this psalm condensed several centuries, over 1,300 years of God dealing with his enemies. It wasn't quick. It took 400 years for the sin of the Egyptians to come before God, before he acted. Before God promised Abraham that the sins of the Canaanites would have to come to their full fruition before I will take you back into that land and I will deal with them and I will judge them. But there's a song. It says, My goodness gracious. This was sung by, who has heard of Odetta Holmes? Anybody heard of Odetta Holmes? Oh my gosh. Odetta Holmes was the most famous voice in the civil rights movement. She was a great folk singer. She actually introduced uh, Bob Dylan to folk singing. He heard a record of hers playing one day, and he was actually playing an electric guitar. He said he sold his electric guitar and got an acoustic because he wanted to sing like her. Odetta Holmes, great African-American singer. Johnny Cash also sang this song, and it goes like this. My goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on a bended knee talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in the voice so sweet, I thought I heard the shuffle of the angel's feet. He called my name, and my heart stood still when he said, Son, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him God Almighty's going to cut him down. You can run now for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Let me tell you, God Almighty's going to cut you down. That is actually a folk song from the 1940s. Many bands but made famous mainly by Odetta Holmes and Johnny Cash. Sooner or later, you can run on for a long time. The Egyptians ran on for a long time. The Romans ran on for a long time. The Babylonians ran on for a long time. The Greeks ran on for a long time. Everybody thinks that they can run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. You better believe it. Do you oppose God? Are you one of his enemies? As wax melts before fire, doesn't that remind you of the uh, Steven Spielberg movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark, isn't it? We're right, one of the very last scenes is when the Nazis are opening the Ark of the Covenant that they have found and they open it with their unholy hands and the angel of the Lord comes out and at first of all he is beautiful but then the beauty of the Lord comes to destruction and the SS officer man's, the Gestapo man, his face melts like wax. I don't know about you. 
I was cheering inside. But on this side of heaven, we're really not allowed to cheer. This is one of the difficulties of this psalm. If you want to know more about the difficulties of this psalm, David is back with us. You can speak to David about it. The New Testament says we are to, what does Jesus say? We are to love our enemies. Do good to those who persecute us. To pray for them. Isn't this hard? Isn't that difficult to do it? But I think it remains easier and gets easier when we trust in the power of God to help us and to trust that God himself one day will put everything right. He is the only one who can judge. He is the only one who has the strength and the power to do it. And if you do not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you may run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay And God, in this psalm, is celebrated for having cut down all of his enemies. And we can trust him to do the same to ours. Secondly, we can trust God's power and reign displayed daily in his salvation. There is a duality here. There are those who are not saved and they are judged. They are considered enemies of God. And there are those who are saved Because salvation is of the Lord. Verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. The rebellious. The children of Israel were rebellious. This is the high point of the Old Testament, but we will see through the rest of the Old Testament and through the prophets that this high point was not maintained. There was eras of disobedience and then revival and disobedience and it was a slow degradation down to the book of Malachi when finally God in his anger actually disciplined his own people, took the ten lost tribes of Israel into Assyria. They never came back. The two southern tribes of Judah, Benjamin, they were taken into Babylon and disciplined by God himself and then they were led back into the promised land after 70 years. But who are these people? Who is this God that saves? How does he show himself? This psalm just piles up the names of God and the descriptions of God. He is El, he is El Shaddai, he is Yahweh, the Lord, exalt before him. But who else is he? Father of the fatherless, who does he save? Who are the children of Israel but a group of slaves in Egypt? They're nobodies. They're sheep farmers, for goodness sakes. That's like a Brit like me saying, they're Australian, a bunch of sheep farmers. (laughs) Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Who does God associate with? God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God is close to the bruised reeds, to the prisoners, 
to those who have nothing, to the poor, to the widows, to the rebellious. And he takes all of those rebellious people and he captures them captive by his love. And he leads them to salvation. I once did a class in, when was it? Year 2000, best class I ever did. It was Tim Keller and Ed Clowney. And Ed was Tim's mentor. And I can remember Ed saying one day that the book of Jonah has a verse that is the very heart of everything the Bible teaches. Let me see where that is. Jonah chapter 2. Because he reverberates exactly what David is saying here. Yep. I got to Daniel. You can tell I don't go here very often. There we are. Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you know where that was said? In the belly of a whale. Or if you like, a great fish. It was Jonah's prayer, having been a rebellious man, having heard the word of the Lord, he rebels against it. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to speak God's word to Nineveh because he knew God's word would be effective And the Ninevites would repent. And the Ninevites were the capital of the very people who were persecuting his own people. He didn't want salvation for his enemies. Therefore, he ran away. But he gets to reflect while he's in the belly of the whale that salvation belongs to the Lord. If you will only save me, O Lord, please save me. And isn't that what God does with his people? He saves them. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. God, our salvation. I've already mentioned the kinds of people that he associates with. Who does he save? Look at 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring 
to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Where were you when God found you? In Peter, Peter says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the Magnificat, Mary's prayer, it's the same thought over again. You have given grace to those who didn't deserve it. Go read her whole song. You have helped your people, but the rich you have sent empty away. What does this teach us? I believe it is the central theme of the whole of the scripture. Just like Ed Clowney said, salvation is of the Lord. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save anybody else. And the only answer to that truth is humility. Utter humility before God. And I think it ought to drive us to prayer. Salvation is strength through weakness. Salvation is God coming to people who do not have any strength and he gives them his strength to be able to see him, know him, look to him and to trust in him. And I just ask you this morning, is that you? Is that you this morning? Or is God resisting you, actively resisting you and your pride? Nothing in life will work for you. You cannot exercise your own power. This chaotic world, we've sung about it this morning, it is in chaos. Just a snippet from my own week. You could come up here and preach and give us a snippet from your week. Isn't it chaos? Isn't it craziness? But salvation is trusting the strength of the Lord and his desire to save people who do not know him and who are rebellious. And thirdly, God's power and reign is displayed in his church. God has not left us alone. The verse here, verse 18, is the one that is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. 4 verse 8, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Paul quotes this and he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Instead of receiving gifts, he says he gave gifts to men. David, I might need you here. One of the commentators said, that what Paul is looking at here when he takes this verse is that he knows that this Psalm 68 is God himself in Jesus Christ as king. And the king has ascended his throne. And you know that kings both receive gifts, don't they? And they give gifts. They receive tribute, but they offer tribute. They give gifts. There's a great gift that was given to Lord Marlborough. Lord Marlborough uh, won a great battle. He was a general. He won a great battle in Europe. 
And guess what he was given? Anybody know? Not a rhetorical question you can answer. Hmm? Nothing? No. He was given the greatest palace. In fact, he was given all of these lands just outside of Oxford. And he built Blenheim Palace, the biggest palace in all of England. He was given a gift by the king for winning the war. And that is the ancestral home of Sir Winston Churchill, who, by the way, is half American. His mother was American from Boston. That's when the aristocracy was getting really, really poor in England, and so they needed to thicken up their, uh, their coffers, their treasuries, so they married into American wealth. That's how, that's how we got Winston Churchill. Half American. But the king gave him a gift, and Paul takes this up and says, yes, gifts. Not only does a king receive gifts and receive tributes, but a king gives gifts. And what kind of gift has he given? In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far all above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Do you see that? Paul is using an Old Testament psalm and saying that psalm, though it was true in David's day of David taking the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, it is ultimately true of Jesus himself ascending the throne after having been given over as a sacrifice for sin. He is then raised from the dead. He goes and shows himself to his disciples over many days. They trust and believe in him. And then as he ascends to his heavenly throne to be seated on the right hand of his father, he then gives gifts to his church to do what? To strengthen them, to give them his word, to encourage them, to build them up into full maturity. And all of this is done not in their own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. As we go back to the psalm. Verses 34 and 35 end with a scribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. God reigns and his power is displayed in his judgments. His power is displayed in turning hearts of rebellious people towards him. And his power is displayed in his church by giving gifts to build us all up into full maturity so that what? We are not alone. 
You may face opposition. You may have contrary evidence. But when you come into the house of the Lord, when you come into all your brethren, when you hear from our pastor each week the word of God preached, you can trust and know that greater is he that has saved us. Greater is his power in us weak people than he who is in the world. Through weak people like us, God reigns and he subdues evil. Do you believe that? I get ready and you get ready to go away from this place to your place of work, to your home, to your community. And surely we have to believe that everything is in God's hands. And what he is asked of us is not to take on the responsibility of what only he has responsibility for. But we have the responsibility to be a witness, to be a neighbor, to be a helping hand, to be a light into a dark, chaotic world. Amen. Let's bow and pray. Lord, we ask simply that you would display your power and your strength in us. That we might then, as humble, forgiven people, go and display like light on a hill, like a candle lit in a room, your power, your might. Lord, let us be ready to go and tell others what the Lord has done for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.